month. Mustn't hurry. Speaking of mustn't <coughs> hurry, I want to let's hurry. Let's get down to it. It's politics time. Dr. Phil Ferguson, John Moore. Good morning, Marina. Kiora. Good morning. How are we, chaps? Pretty good. Not too bad. Yep, yep. Puffed out, puffed out. I'm a bit puffed out. I just run here. <laughs> <laughs> because that's how excited he is about it. He wasn't even late. He, in fact, he was early, but he ran anyway. Uh, well, welcome. Um, right, let's get down to brass tacks, get straight into it. National Party leadership race. It's uh, oh, it's an all-in. Yes. It's, an, it's almost like everybody's running. Yes, big smackdown. Five candidates. So we've got, from last week, we discussed uh, Judith Collins, uh, Simon Bridges, and Amy Adams, of course. And since last week, uh, Mark Mitchell, who is he? Many of you might ask, but Ugh. Mark Mitchell has thrown his hat in as well has uh, Mr. Big Wig, Stephen Joyce. <laughs> yes, that's so an interesting the race is one. on. <laughs> that is a, I mean, for my... I don't, I don't know, Phil, but do they all think they can actually win or are they just doing this for shits and giggles? No, I think some of it is positioning for the future. Um, I think, like, yeah, Mark Mitchell, like, that's just profile building, I think, yeah. and kind of throwing his hat into the ring so that further down the track um, he'll be well positioned mm-hmm. and I think even with n- now that um, Stephen Joyce is in the race I think even you know Simon Bridges is um, may be reduced to just kind of profile bu- building as well for the future mm-hmm. I th- mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think yeah and Simon Bridges hasn't had a good week he um, yeah. uh, on a um, TV breakfast interview he he, he fumbled yeah uh, and he didn't seem certain of himself maybe he was over prepared by his uh, PR men and woman yeah. uh, so he was trying to be too controlled not his natural self and, and that didn't play out well for him um, so I think, uh, even though I think all of us last week said we thought that Simon Bridges was the most likely candidate to be voted and I, I wouldn't say that anymore. Shit. Because, <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, I mean, he's probably the only most likely one to actually be able to, for, for my mind, be able to uh, make an effort and, and have a real shot at beating Jacinda hmm. Ardern. Nobody else there really tickles my fancy, to be honest, and I don't think they've got a broad enough Does appeal. Stephen Joyce not tickle your fancy? No, no, he doesn't. And, you know, I mean, he, he's a dildo tickler. That's what he is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we might be surprised by Stephen Joyce. Um, I, I would put my bets on him now. He's the puppet master. I mean, he's been yeah. the guy with his, his fingers controlling And he's also got a media time. profile. He's built up a media profile over a long Long time he comes across as an ordinary bloke. Does he? he? Uh, he doesn't come across as well polished, uh, um, and that might uh, play out well for him. You know, in this whole era where people don't want very slick politicians anymore, mm. um, uh, having the good looks and uh, uh, being very polished on television can actually count against you these days in the Western world. And so I think, uh, yeah, um, maybe over time um, Stephen Joyce could uh, be a good competitor for Jacinda Ardern. Um, And and especially if things start going wrong, say, for the economy and and this uh, coalition government starts fumbling, then Stephen Joyce knows his policy. Uh, He's he's a um, shadow spokesperson for finance. Uh, So he's got expertise in areas that if the, say, if, um, the type of economic hurdles that Winston Peters has predicted are going to happen mm. do happen in New Zealand, then Stephen Joyce could be the man to sort of take on the Labour Party 
market and show them up if, wow. if they're not able to deal with any future economic recession or depression, say. He's also very good at bending the truth, is and we all, we all kind of yeah. know that. But, Phil, do you think he really has that kind of, like, like I said before, mass appeal? Do you think uh, a young, professional, 27-year-old is going to look at Stephen Joyce and think, yeah, that's the candidate for me? Yeah, Unless quite, they've studied politics? Quite possibly not, although I wonder whether the people who are least likely to like Stephen Joyce are going to be voting anyway. Um, mm. Most of the national candidates face the problem that they're, more, they're viewed more unfavourably than favourably. I think that was the case with all five of these people, yeah. apart from maybe Mark Mitchell, who just nobody knows much about up until him throwing his hat in the ring and we find out that yeah, he's yeah. not the most savoury character. Oh, you know, he'll, he'll put money into defence. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but Nikki Kaye was the only one in that uh, recent poll who actually had a plus rating. She was... More people viewed her favourably than unfavourably, mm-hmm. but all the other ones more people view them unfavourably than favourably. Um, so on that basis, there's, uh, there's probably not much for M- for National Party MPs to choose between them, but I think they'll opt for Stephen Joyce mm. as the, the safest pair of hands. It's interesting, is like if you look at John Key, and both John Key and Jacinda, um, they're both kind of dark horse candidates, you know? The two, two people you probably thought early on in their political careers, although John didn't really have one, uh, that probably wouldn't have been the pick and the people's pick but they both came through and actually shone although Justin O'Dean was very much a career politician from mm. a young age oh. including being um, uh, president of the so-called uh, youth wing of the uh, international socialists that's right uh, Organisation, so that the the socialist organisation that Labour has traditionally been affi- affiliated with, so actually quite a mild organisation. Uh, she's worked in Tony Blair's office and, yeah, and worked yeah. for Helen Clark as well. So I think uh, people who in the in the bell way, so to say, people with business who, who kept an eye on what was going on, who were the up and coming young leaders in Labour. Yeah, I think um, people did see her potentially as a, a, a future leader, if not a, ho- a senior cabinet minister at least as well. Whereas John Key wasn't a professional politician. He no. basically made his millions. Um, he, I don't think he'd be involved in student politics or um, in, in any other form of politics before he um, joined the National Party, became an MP and then rose up the ranks very quickly. So I think, yes, he was very much a, a dark horse. Well, I mean, I, when, when, I, when I meant that, I kind of meant from a, a layman's point of view. Not, mm. not, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, Mark Mitchell, interesting character. Um, quite, well, I'm not going to say, I wouldn't say dodgy, but, I mean, a bit iffy. Uh, you know, very, uh, you know, former former soldier, I think. Yes, and uh, former cop. Former cop uh, and former um, defence contractor. Yes, yeah, so he actually uh, worked in Iraq. Um, as for private security, this private security contractor, and that this was during a time of conflict. Is that black water type? Uh, that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, and and he was involved in areas where there were um, surges and there were actually uh, military conflicts. So um, obviously, uh, since the uh, second Iraq War in the early two thousands, there's been a lot of scrutiny on um, uh, uh, security contractors that operated in Iraq oh, and, nice. and, and human rights abuses that were carried out, um, obviously by the American military, but also by private uh, contractors as well. So. Um, 
Yeah, I'm surprised the media haven't placed more scrutiny on what exactly his role was mm. in that in that very unpopular war now. Mm. I wonder if he'd be able to work with Ron Marks, and there you go, there's your national and New yeah. Zealand first coalition. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I'm sure that would be, uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> potentially be quite close. Yes. Maybe. Um, like, I, like I said last week, are any of these candidates, can they win without a Labour slip-up? No, I don't think they can. I think it would take either something going seriously wrong in the economy, which would be something that was beyond Labour's control, mm. and, you know, in fairness to them, um, or them, them making a slip-up. But Or they're being divised between the, uh, the three parties, yeah, Greens, yeah. Labour and New Zealand First, yeah. if, if there's a, a public spat between them, then yeah. that could lead to a, a drop in the polls. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it kind of matters for a while what National does, um, the, the Jacinda effect, and we'll get the whole, the, you know, the whole pregnancy being played out and then the birth. I would expect that unless there's something goes wrong in the Labour and Allied camp, they will continue to be ahead. What's interesting is that National is still, you know, very, very high in the polls. I mean, they're a hell of a lot higher than what National oh. was after the 1999 mm. Um, mm. election, yeah, you know, uh, uh, but but you know, Jacinda's quite high up in, uh, yes. in preferred prime minister, and that's really what you know. And in, in the, in what we'll talk about day. shortly, yeah. the, the new Colmar Bradman poll puts Labour ahead of National as well. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, that's, yeah, it's uh, there's real dangers there for National that uh, uh, if they pick the wrong leader and they drop in the polls further, then it can start having a tumbling effect. Mm, yes, yes, we need the Joyce effect. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's going to be one. Let's go to the polls now. Uh, latest Colmar Brunton poll, as you said before. Labour on 48%, uh, National on 43%, and the Greens on 5 uh, and uh, National first down on 3%, but uh, Jacinda Ardern, 41% preferred Prime Minister. Um, and, and Bill English has slipped down to 8 points, down to 20%, and this, was taken, this poll was taken before he announced his recognition. Mm, so that's, mm. a, that's a significant drop for the leader of the National Party. Yeah, huge, huge, mm. compared to the numbers that we would have seen around the election time. Yes. I mean, and it's only a short amount of time. Mm. Um, but, you know, you know, I mean, it's... it's we were only five months into this government, so I mean, it's not. And, really and of course, on yeah, on these numbers, Labour and the Greens could form a government. Yes, you know, without New, without New Zealand First. So oh. the challenge for Labour is going to be how to maintain those kinds of numbers um, once you know just <laughs> the Jacinda effect wears off. Mm, mm, mm. But I mean, how can you, you know, and they've, and they've got to be nice to the Greens because eventually, you know, one would assume the Greens might get sick and tired of being shafted It's because they've continuously been shafted for, for 15 years. Except now they do have ministerial portfolios, so mm. that, that's a significant change. Not in Cabinet, but that, that might be the preferred option for the Greens, their current situation, that they can be a bit more critical of the mm. government because they're not formally uh, part of the government, even though they hold ministerial posts because they're not in Cabinet. I mean, it's all constitutionally arguable. Some people say if you hold a ministerial post, then you are part of the government, regardless yep. of uh, what, what uh, PR people, what spin they put on it. Um, but yeah, I think it's a 
potentially a concern for Labour that, that both of their um, partners have slipped in the polls. So Greens have slipped by 2% um, and, and now New Zealand First is below the 5% threshold. Whereas the last time Labour was in a, coalition, a formal coalition with the Alliance, um, I would argue, and I think Phil would agree with me on this, that Helen Clark was determined to actually split and destroy the alliance. She didn't like mm. a party that, mm. um, first of all, the alliance effectively came out of the Labour Party when Jim Anderton split from the Labour Party in the late um, 80s. But my feeling would be that Labour um, wouldn't go out of its way to, to uh, try and destroy or split New Zealand First from the Greens this time because they realise that they need to foster um, potential coalition partners. They're the only two parties uh, that can put Labour into power mm. and they also, I think they'll be conscious of the, the problems that National have and that they've really got no potential coalition partner yeah. at the moment that could put National into power. So um, yeah, unless Labour's uh, suicidal I think they'll want to certainly bump New Zealand first a bit up in the polls, maybe by helping them to publicise some of the, the policies that Winston Peters has pushed yeah. such as uh, provincial development. And that's why they're gone, I mean that's why, why National's gone. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think Labour probably quite likes having New Zealand first um, so that they don't have to make uh, too many concessions to the Greens. So they can say to the Greens, oh, we can't do this, New Zealand first won't swallow it. And then, you know, they can say the same to New Zealand first so they can kind of balance those two or play those two off against each, each other. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I mean, Labour knows that it can't govern alone. Yeah. You know, it's in the era of MMP and National just hasn't quite got to grips with that yet. Mm. Well, Na National needs these kinds of numbers. I mean, 43 mm. is still, like you said, it's quite good. Mm. And they need this going into a leadership race because they've got to have good numbers at the beginning because if you start seeing bad numbers yeah. in a poll, that, you know, psychologically that actually, you know, has a big effect. Mm. Well, I would argue it's not very good for the National Party because really it, you, you've got to talk in terms of blocks under MMP. We've got the, the mm. Labour, Greens, New Zealand first block and, and remember that Labour and Gre Greens are really only going to ever go with Labour um, so that's uh, that's the government in the making already, Labour and the Greens on these current poll ratings, they don't even need New Zealand first, whereas National has no one else so that 43% really represents the, the, com the complete oppositional vote the, mm -hmm. the, the percentage of the population that, that don't want a Labour led government and yes yeah, so I think that's incredibly problematic for National um, Act uh, is really uh, dead with, with one MP that's only really put in there um, by uh, National um, and there's really no other options at the moment mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah so Labour, Labour, the Greens and New Zealand first together have got 56 so there's only 1% kind of floating around somewhere between ACT and, and the Opportunities Party and whoever mm. else yeah yeah yeah. I mean I, I, mean, I guess um, time will tell we've got a way to go we way to go um, right let's go on to what's happening in America at the moment of course there was um, terrible tragedy in Florida uh, a few days ago with um, several students being killed at a school I just want to play this um, this is the president uh, or the head of the NRA this morning <laughs> Um, and I'm sorry, but it may um, trigger people out there because he's quite a foul human. We at the NRA are Americans who continue to mourn and care and work every day at contributing real solutions to this very real problem. 
real practical action to truly protect our children. Think about it. In every community in America, school districts, PTAs, teachers unions, local law enforcement, moms and dads, they all must come together to implement the very best strategy to harden their schools, including effective trained armed security that will absolutely protect every innocent child in this country. I mean, come on. So the answer is to militarize the schools. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, it's kind of funny. It's a crazy country. It's, it's kind of funny. Because what he's what he's talking about and getting guns in everybody's hands <laughs> and arming, I mean, it's kind of like the opposite to what those people say anyway. Like, I mean, it's like let's arm teachers, let's arm uh, government-paid employees um, to fight uh, people with guns. At the same time, they're worried about the government becoming too big and too militarized yeah. because they can't fight. <laughs> against the government because yeah. yeah. they're worried yeah. about the government rising up no. and taking yeah, yeah there's, yeah. there's extreme contradictions with that <laughs> libertarian right right uh, conservative right and, and the new alt right that have deep fears about the government mm. um, and, and argue for um, that the second amendment should be protected because of uh, uh, fears of a over powerful uh, state uh, infringing on the rights of ordinary citizens but yes as you said uh, calling for the militarisation of schools yeah. through the state through the so st- yes there is a huge country it's there. crazy and, and you know he was coming out this morning other things coming out of his mouth like um he, oh it's slipping out of my mind now but it was just some it's just so backwards and it's unbelievable and and it's weird how the american people just buy it up thinking you know it just i can just i can flip this really easy like you know this guy had guns and he he killed a bunch of children but you know children's lives aren't worth more than an amendment something that was actually uh, changed uh, at one time uh, hundreds of years ago it wasn't even the original part the original document Mm. um to be fair that the um, poll after poll shows that uh, a majority of the American population are quite happy with further gun control. Oh, yes. But they don't necessarily uh, vote for uh, candidates who uh, uh, who advocate bringing in tougher controls of gun ownership because that's not necessarily a primary issue for people no. when, they're, when they're turning out and voting. And in a sense, fair enough. You know, There's a whole range of issues that affect ordinary American people. So should they only vote on this issue or should they vote on the abortion issue or should they vote on economic issues etc etc um to play the devil's advocate um the mass killings like this are of a deep concern and and are horrific but the majority of killings in america don't happen in schools uh uh, these types of killings uh uh, bring in a lot of media attention Mm. and and scrutiny of course uh uh but we need to look at overall statistics of homicides in America in relation proportionally to the amount of guns in America to to discuss. I think there needs to be a, a very serious, uh, sober debate about what is the link between guns and homicides in America uh, and, and what be the consequences of, of actually um, tr- the state attempting to take um, guns off ordinary people in America um, as well. So um, there's probably 
be a perception out there that America is one of the most violent countries in the world uh, and, and, and has the uh, um, highest homicide rate in the world and, and gun murders in the world, but that, that's actually far from true. Yeah, yeah. That's far from true. And so. It is in the Western world. Yeah, in the Western world. But, but yes, like uh, I mean, we look at countries like uh, Honduras, which mm. has uh, um, 90 deaths per 100,000 uh, homicides, uh, Venezuela, 53 deaths uh, per 100,000, um, a bit lower down, Jamaica, 39 per 100,000, Colombia, 30 per 100,000. Um, America has 4.88. Oh, sorry, yes, 4.88 per 100,000. So that's significantly lower than, say, those uh, developing or underdeveloped country in terms of murder rates. Um, but if we do compare to um, first world countries, developed countries, then yes, America would have the highest murder rate in the world for developed, for the global north, for the de- mm. de- developed countries. So America 4.88 per 100,000, Canada 1.68, uh, UK 0.92, New Zealand 0.91. Russia, interestingly enough, um, which I guess maybe would traditionally be called a second world country, is, at, is on 11.31. So that's almost two to three times higher than the US, which is interesting. Um, The US certainly has uh, the most guns, so 101 per 100 uh, residents. Mm. (laughs) Canada, 30.8 per 100 residents. New Zealand, 22.6 per 100 residents. So yes, it does seem there's some um, correlation between gun ownership and in the number of homicides. But I think we have to also bring in other factors such as culture, such as uh, uh, grotesque levels of inequality in America, such uh, such the, the high uh, level of organised crime, especially around drugs and, and the huge amount of money involved. In I like, can, like New Zealand is exactly the same. The the the, um, the gang life in um, you know in, in certain parts of the nation, the inequality in certain parts of the nation, exactly the same. Yeah, but we have licences, we have ba- proper background checks, and we can't give them to people with mental illnesses. Can't give them with people with criminal record. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, half of the, a big part of the problem is state by state laws you know there's no complete federal wash over everything um, no federal laws so in some states um, you know it's quite hard to get a gun but in other ones I mean I watched a kid this morning 13 years old legally buy a semi-automatic rifle at a gun show legally 13 yeah I mean cut fucking hell like, yeah I mean there is definitely something different about the United States to the rest of the of the first world uh, there's a, you know, a significant cultural difference around stuff like guns and, and gun control and I, I don't know, I just think it's like America is the purest capitalist country and in a capitalist society we're all supposed to be fighting each other to scramble to get ahead and so on and this is the kind of the logical consequence mm-hmm. you know, th- there's a lack of human solidarity and a lack of human empathy that is the result of just unbridled ca- capitalism and I have mixed feelings about gun control because on the one hand like you say you know that that constitutional right goes back a couple of hundred years, and you know they didn't have submachine guns available to the yeah, public at, at at the time. But on the other hand, you know I do kind of think that amendment was the in its day that was a very progressive amendment. You know because the gov- governments were. Uh, 
were tyrannies. I mean, most yeah. people didn't have the right to vote and so on. And in the United States, of course, well, they, they're they had, King George, aren't they? Yeah, they, they had to have a revolution to get rid of the of uh, British rule. And so, ordinary people having access to guns was a good thing. And I kind of still, you know, I have sympathy for that for that point of view. Um, but they had slaves there. I mean, it's no yes, fucking yes. it's no excuse. Yeah, and some of the guns, of course, were used to go and round up the round up the slaves when they ran away. Um, but the, the yeah. difficulty from a left wing point of view or a, a liberal point of view is that um, if you concentrate on the state uh, bringing in tough rules around general ownership of guns, you, you result in, a, in the state having a, a monopoly Believe. over armed power. Yeah. Now, look at the Black, uh, Black Lives Matter movement. They've been really concerned about uh, uh, abuses and, and killings by um, uh, police force in America of black people. Mm. Now, if you actually, um, if, if you if you pass, pass strict laws on gun control, you're actually um, um, in a sense, in direct sense, giving more power to the police and armed forces, state armed forces, who will then have a greater monopoly on armed uh, power. So, in a sense, there's a contradiction there in what the left is advocating. Um, to my knowledge, Black Lives Matter didn't even advocate the, um, the police being disarmed. Um, so, yeah, there, there's problems there. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and actually, I mean, one of the interesting um, things from um, gun control stuff is the Black Panthers used to uh, form armed patrols to go around and physically prevent the police from violently assaulting and harassing young blacks and it put manners on the cops mm-hmm. you know and of course what happens the california legislature passes gun control that made it illegal for for them to have weapons so it's all yeah it's a quite complex issue it is it is i'm sorry we're gonna have yep. to go we're, we're, we're way over time but um thank you both for coming in this morning thank you uh, thank oh, you and, and, and the sad thing is we'll keep talking about this anyway yeah you know, we, we yeah. may have run out of time yeah. but there's going to be more time to talk about it uh here's boyfriend with